today's text is, is a simple story, uh, probably could have been told over and over again on how Jesus healed. Uh, he healed many. Uh, we have a record of, of those he's healed, and, and I'm sure there's many occasions uh, that are obviously not in the Word of God. We could probably fill books upon books on, on the healings and the stories of how Jesus changed people's lives. Um, but in today's story that we have here in Luke chapter 18, um, we, we see brokenness. Uh, we see the reality of brokenness um, with this man. And it was in the form of his, his physical struggle with, with obviously being blind. Uh, but we see brokenness in many different ways today. Many different ways. Uh, this, this past Friday as I was uh, sitting with uh, the Colony football team and, and we're sitting, we're, one of the things we were talking about was, was brokenness and the reality of brokenness. And I just had these guys across the room just say, hey, tell me how you've seen brokenness in the last week. And they just started rattling off things. Um, and these young guys that are, you know, 15, 16, 17, they're saying, hey, we, we just saw a, a guy shoot up a synagogue. We just saw, you know, uh, heard about a road rage incident. Uh, we've, we've seen somebody lose a, a friend this week. Somebody pass away. And they, they just started laying on bro- different ways that we see brokenness in our world. And it's all over the place, all over the place. And we all, if we went through the room, we would say, yeah, and I, I see brokenness in this way and this way. I see brokenness in my family this way and this way. We, we see it. It's real. It's around us. It's before us. We see it. We see it in this text today. This, this man is blind. That's a need he has. It, that's brokenness. And we see it in the world in other ways too, which we'll, we'll look at later. But then we also see in this text the great compassion of Jesus. And, and these two things come together. Uh, and we're thankful for that. But we see the compassion of our Savior in this beautiful text. And so I want us to look at this this morning. Um, maybe you know this story. This, this story, it's interesting. If you go to like Matthew 20 and Mark chapter 10, you, you see this story. Many believe it's, it's the same. Uh, one instance in Matthew 20, it's, it's two blind men instead of just one. Um, and then in Mark, we, we see that this guy has a name. His name is Bar- Bartimaeus. Um, as well, and so many believe that these are the same stories because of the similarity. Whatever the case, uh, Jesus healed many people, okay? And on this occasion, we get to see this one who, who is blind that he is going to heal. Uh, so if you would look with me at uh, Luke 18, 35 through 37 to set the scene, it says for us today that Jesus was approaching Jericho. Uh, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. And so this man's condition um, has affected him greatly physically, not just with his, his sight, but his living conditions, where he's literally on the side of the road begging, begging for food, uh, begging for probably uh, means to, uh, to get food uh, as well. Um, and so he's hearing a crowd come by. So if you can kind of picture that, he's begging, he's blind, he can't see anything, but he hears, and he's very percept- uh, perceptive. He hears this crowd come by, and he began to inquire what this was. And so he's looking around. He's like, hey, man, what, what's, what is this? What is this? Who, who's in town? What, what's all the commotion about? What's all the commotion? And then it says, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. 
was passing by. And so here's Jesus. And if you remember from last week, Isabel preached. She talked to us about the, the rich young ruler. And then uh, right after that, before the text that we have today, do you remember he took the 12 aside and he told them this. He said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem in verse 31. And so that's where Jesus is going. That's where his eyes are fixed upon. I, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. Uh, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to go across and die. On the third day, I'm going to raise again. And you remember his disciples, they didn't understand this. They couldn't comprehend the things that, that Jesus was talking about. And so that's where Jesus is focused. That's where he is going. But, but on the way, he comes to Jericho, and there's this one. And he inquires, who is this? And they say, it's Jesus. So Jesus is passing by, but he's going to do more than just pass by. He's going to do more than that. And so look at verse 38. This man called out, this blind man, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. So this man, on the, with the news that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What's significant about what he is saying here? He says, Jesus, son of David. That's a messianic term right? Jesus, son of David. If you go to Luke 7, I want to tell you uh, of what uh, this guy possibly had in mind. Um, Luke 4 also tells us this, but Luke 7 verse 22, um, the context here is that the disciples of John the Baptist um, were reporting to John all the things about Jesus, all the things that that they had, had seen, and he wanted to know, is, is Jesus the expected one? Is he the Messiah? Is he the son of David? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And so at that time, people were being healed, just like this guy was going to experience today. Evil spirits were being called out, all, all these different things. Um, and so Jesus told his disciples, or, or John's disciples, excuse me, this about what, what he was doing, his ministry. And so I want to read it to you. He says, go and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And that's what Jesus came to do, and, and that is the work of the Messiah. That is the work of the, the son of David. That's what Jesus came to do. And so this, this guy who is blind recognizes something about Jesus here. He recognizes that he is the son of David. He seems to believe that, yes, this is the Messiah because this is the one who can give sight to the blind. He can make the lame walk. He can heal the leper, as we've seen. And so he, he seems to have some sense of faith here as he cries out to Jesus, son of David. He seems to understand that. And he also cries out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. This man is in a condition where, where he cannot change. He can't change his condition. Okay? We don't know why he's blind. Okay? We're going to find out in a little bit. Uh, evidently, he wasn't probably born this way. Like in John 9, we're told that that guy was, was born blind. This guy, we're going to see in a little bit, it seems like he had lost his sight, maybe from disease, maybe from re regression, or maybe from an injury. Whatever the case is, he knew in his condition there was nothing he could do to change it. 
And so he cries to the only one who can. He cries out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because you're the only one who could, could change my condition. So he's wanting Jesus to heal him to cause his sight to come back. And so look at verse 39. Those who led the way sternly, they were sternly telling him, the blind man, to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So so get this picture. Here's this guy, he's begging, he's blind. He's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there's these people in the crowd. Some are, are his disciples, probably some the religious crew, the Pharisees, and, and so on. And there's, there's just other people who, man, they, they would get in these traveling groups and just want to get near Jesus. Maybe they had other issues coming on uh, they had that they wanted Jesus to heal. But there were just m- many people attracted to Jesus. But yet they're telling this guy who was begging, this black guy, hey, listen, dude, be quiet. Shut it up. Can you imagine that scene? And, and they're just kind of pushing him to the side. Hey, listen. Shh, shh. Maybe there's been times in life you've, you've maybe felt that way. Maybe you've kind of felt like that way with, with different times in, in your life. This guy, no doubt, was an outcast, mistreated by others. Not too many people showed great care for him, but what I love about this It says he kept crying all the more. It reminds us of the widow, right? In the parable that Jesus shared a few weeks ago when she kept going to the judge. And so there's persistence with this guy. And he wants Jesus to heal him. And he cries for mercy. We've talked about this in the last few weeks, but but mercy is the only hope for all of mankind. It's the only hope for all of mankind. Kind. It's the one thing all of us in here need. Mercy is this. If we, we were to define it, you could maybe define it in some, some different ways. It's, it's God's undeserving kindness. Instead of God giving us what we do deserve, okay, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And so we all deserve that. That's, that's what we all deserve. But what's amazing about what God does in Jesus is he gives us mercy. He gives us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he shows us this undeserving kindness, this undeserving compassion, this undeserving love, this undeserving grace. It's the one thing we all need. You see, something happens in the world. There's a great... Uh, Great thing that, that puts us all on a level playing field. The first thing is sin, <laughs> right? We're all sinners. We're all sinners, everyone in this world. So, so you can get rid of all the stereotypes, right? All, all the issues in the world of you know, what people look like, what people have. We all are sinners. We're all on the same playing field. And we all need the same thing. We all need God's mercy. And it's our only hope. Same thing with this guy. He knew that. He knew that there was nothing he could do. Nothing. That he knew no one else was going to help him. But Jesus, the son of David, could. It was his only hope. You see, this guy is similar to the tax collector. You remember the tax collector? He's in the temple, and he's got the Pharisee next to him praying things like, hey, I'm glad I'm not like this guy next to me, man. 
And the tax collector's praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's how this guy is. He's crying for the, out to the only one who could help him. This man's very unlike the religious guy who thought he knew it all and had it all figured out and didn't need the mercy of, mercy of God. This guy is not like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler thought he knew it all, thought he had everything he needed in life. But yet he was lacking in one thing. He was lacking in, in a life that was completely surrendered to Jesus in a life that was completely dependent on the mercy and the grace of God. But this guy right here, he recognizes it's the only thing that will change my situation is the mercy of God. And so he's continually crying it out. Crowd's saying, shh. He's saying, give me mercy, Jesus. Crowd's saying, shh. He's saying, Jesus, mercy on me. Shh, mercy on me. I mean, can you imagine this? And so look what happens in verse 40. Jesus stopped. That'll preach, man. Jesus just stopped. The crowd's saying, man, this, this guy ain't got time for you. And Jesus makes a big point here. And he says, I've got time. He stops. He stops and he commanded that the man, the blind man, be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. And he said to the man, what do you want me to do for you? I love this. We see some different patterns in Jesus' life, right, that we can emulate as, as believers, that we're to follow, that we're to put in practice, some patterns. And the first pattern we see here is the pattern of care. Jesus cared. He was compassionate. And we see it in his whole earthly life from day one, how caring and compassionate he was to the least of these, to the lame, to the leper, to the poor, to children. He cared. The Bible tells us in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So think about this. Where is Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. There are big things about to happen. Big things. And he knows he's about to get handed over. He's going to go to the cross. I mean, there are big things coming. That's, that's where his eyes are fixed. And so what I love about this picture, when he stops, he does something. He shows us this. That even though there's big things that he's about to do, that he is willing to stop for your need, your need, your need, your need, down to every individual, he is willing to stop. You see, Jesus was not all about what was going on in his life, in his world, even though what he was about to do was for the whole world, and we, we obviously needed that. We need him to go to the cross. But I love this picture here. He stops, and he cares for the need of this one. When the crowd could care less about this guy and was trying to shut him up, Jesus says, no, I, I'm stopping because I care for him. You see, I want you to get a picture of Jesus. Jesus loves the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, right? But, but let's not forget who's in the world. 
you. <laughs> Make this very personal this morning. That's, that's Jesus. He is very personal. He cares about you down to every individual in this room. He cares about your need. And he shows us here, he stopped. And this is where the pattern of care, I think, begins. Is we have to be people who stop. I mean, I don't know about you, but man, we run. We've got our calendars filled. We've got schedules and appointments, things we've got to get to, things we've got to do, and sometimes very good things, and, and, and good things throughout the day, work that we've got to get to. But, but how often do maybe we miss the person who needs someone to just stop? And instead of saying, you know, how are you doing? And they said, and, and they said, well, good, good. And just we just keep running or, or whatever. And I mean, that's how the day looks. I mean, we're very superficial people, right? Very surface. How often do we just stop? Just stop and listen. And then how often do we stop and ask a question like this from someone who we know needs some help or has a need and says, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? I love that question. Jesus stops and asks this guy, what do you want me to do for you? I love it. I love it. How often do we get wrapped up in, in our stuff and we're not maybe willing to stop and just care for the needs of other? I, I pray we see this this morning and we remember this selfless model of Jesus as he cares for this one. On the flip side, though, put yourself in, in the shoes of this blind man. Like, can you imagine this day? You know, if you're a disciple in the crowd and you're telling this blind guy to stop, you know, we don't, we don't understand everything that Jesus is talking about, but we know he's got big things in Jerusalem that's going to take place. So, dude, you can wait. He doesn't have time for you. And sometimes we do that. We, th we think, man, I've got this need, and we think it's small, or we think it's maybe insignificant or little, and it's like, man, why, does, why do I need to tell God about this, right? Other people got these big things going on, or why do I need to go ask someone to pray for this? Because this just seems so insignificant compared to the big stuff that everybody else is going on, right? Jesus wants the little and the big. He wants it all. First Peter 5, 7. I, I love this text. It's one I have to completely and continually be reminded of often. Peter tells us to cast all your anxiety on Jesus, to cast all your cares. He doesn't say the big things. Hey, all the big things out there and put them in categories. No, he cast all your cares on Jesus, the little and the big. Why? Because he cares for you. So we're to humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, I've got this thing going on, and, and, and it may seem small to you, but, but it's a big deal to God. Everything in your life is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. And he wants you to cast your cares upon him. And he will gladly receive, gladly receive. He wants us to be dependent on his all-sufficiency because guess what? Jesus is the benefactor. Remember that. We're the beneficiaries. And he wants us to come to him with all that we have. All that we have. Bring the small needs. 
Bring the big ones and everything in between. That's what God wants. And he wants to work on our behalf. That's what he does. But we've got to be dependent on him, just like this guy, just like this guy. He took his need to Jesus. No matter what the crowd was telling him to do, he did it anyway. And then look at verse 41 at the end. Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says back to him, Lord, I want to regain my sight, right? He tells him plainly, Lord, I want to see again. I want to see again. I I love this right here. It says, I want to regain my sight. It seems here in the text that that this guy um, could once see, but now had lost maybe his sight. The word regain right there is, uh, a word called anablipa. It's it's uh, means to see again. Blipa means to see, but the the placement of ana before it means to see again. So it seems like whether well, it was disease, an injury, an accident, or maybe this regression of sight, this guy um, is blind because of that. So he could see before. So he's desperate here. He's desperate to to regain his sight. What was lost, he wants to find it again. And he knew Jesus could do this. And so he says, Jesus, I want to regain my sight. And then look at verse 42 through 43. Jesus said to the man, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Wow. Receive your sight. It's a gift, right? Everything is a gift from God. Our sight, our walking, our hearing, our talking, the breath in our lungs, everything is a gift. And so he says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw this, so all the people in the crowd who were saying, dude, back off, be quiet. Now what are they doing? They gave praise to God. I love this. The crowd wanted to silence this man, but Jesus wanted to hear and stand with him on this day and help him regain his sight. He had compassion toward him. He felt the man's pain. He wasn't just sympathetic, though. His, his love was moved to action, and he caused this man to see again. And Jesus, I want you to know, has absolute sovereignty and authority over the physical, over every physical law, natural law. He has authority over it all. But there's something interesting about this text as well. It says, your faith has made you well. Just like we saw a few weeks ago, this means more than just physical. This means that this man has had something spiritually taking place because of his faith. This man has been saved. He's been rescued. He's been redeemed. That's what the word well means. It doesn't just mean he can see again. It means that this faith that he has has spiritually brought salvation to him as well. And so in this moment, Jesus tells him, your faith has made you well. Not that he's just seeing again, but spiritually, he's alive. So what's amazing about this picture is physically he can see, but now spiritually, he can see. He can see. We live in a world of blindness. Why do we live in a world of blindness, of darkness? People can't see. There's, there's three, three reasons that, that I find just simple and specific in Scripture. The Bible tells us the light shines in the darkness in John chapter 1, verse 5, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, hearts 
Our hardened minds are hardened. Hearts are veiled, minds are veiled of seeing the truth of the gospel. People are blind to the truth. They're blind to God. They're blind to Jesus. And why is that? The first reason is because of sin, right? The first reason is because of sin. In fact, in John chapter three, verse 19, the Bible tells us this. In the story of Nicodemus, it says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. It means this, that men love their sin. They love their sin. And that's why they can't see. Sin blinds us. Sin blinds us. So we live in a blind world. The second thing is Satan. Satan contributes to such blindness. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, Satan wants people to be blinded to the gospel. He wants to still kill and destroy their lives. He doesn't want them to know the hope of the gospel. And so I think all the more, I, I pray as you read that this morning, you're like, man, I, I want to go to battle. So how do we go to battle as Christians in a world that is blind against an enemy who wants people to stay that way? We share the gospel. We penetrate this world with the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Because it's only the, by the power of the gospel that people can be made to see. And then the third thing, and this one's a little more tougher for us, um, what contributes to such blindness in our world is, is God's sovereign judgment. And obviously we, we don't want it to come to this, but in Luke 19.42, we're told uh, this truth. It says, if you had known, Jesus says, in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. And so if you knew salvation, if you knew the gospel which makes for peace, he says, but now... They have been hidden from your eyes. You see, there is a, a, a time where Jesus withholds, it's a form of judgment from people, truth. And sometimes we get to that point in our life where, where we harden our own hearts, our, we, we harden our, our mind, we get to that point where we have no room for truth anymore because of, of sin and we, we ignore God's warning signs and we, we just keep getting more and more into it and we get to the point where because of judgment, right? We're, we're, he doesn't allow us to see any more of his truth. And that happens to people in the world. That, that's, a lot of them are, are so gone, right? And, and they, God says that he hands them over basically to their sin, to, to darkness and that's his wrath, Right? because they ignore his truth, and so they can't even see, and that's God's judgment. So those are the things that, that blind us, and so this guy right here is set free from that. Why? Because he comes to Jesus. And so what we see right here is not only a pattern of care, but we also see a pattern of discipleship. Well, what does this guy do? He comes to Jesus, and that's what everybody in the world needs to do, is, is, is we come to Jesus and we cry for mercy, 
God, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. Lord, show kindness and grace to me. And, and I'm going to trust and believe that you're the only one who can heal me from this spiritual blindness. And, and so, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to depend on you because you're the only one who can save me and help me to see. And so we've got to come to him. And then what does this guy do? Once he receives the gift to see, he follows. He follows. He follows Jesus. And that's what happens when we come to Jesus to salvation, when we experience his peace and his freedom from, from sin and guilt and shame that he gives to us, when we trust and believe in what he did on the cross for us, something happens. It changes our life. It changes our lives. The, the scales fall off. And we now can see. We're now given the gift of eternal life. We, we can now spiritually see. And what do we do? We begin to follow him. Why? Because he is our savior. He is our master. He's our Lord. And that's what this guy does. He starts following Jesus because his life has been changed. And he praises God. He starts living a life that's not centered around him and about him, but now he begins to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus, living a life that glorifies God. And that's what discipleship looks like. And what I love about this picture is when he comes to Jesus, he cries for mercy. Jesus heals him, saves him. Guess what happens? Immediately he starts following him. Immediately he starts following Jesus. That's what disciples do. That's what people who experience a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, they follow him. And so how does all this happen? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift. It's not of yourself. And so like this man, we've got to get to the point where we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm dependent on your grace, on your kindness. And I'm trusting in you and believing in you. Not in anything I can do. This man could do nothing to change his physical or spiritual condition. Only Jesus can. So today, can you see? And what I mean by this, do, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do, do you know the truth? Have you ever got to that point in your life where you recognized that I'm a sinner, that I have sin in my life, and I can do nothing Nothing to get rid of it. I can do nothing to erase the judgment and the punishment I deserve because of that sin. There's nothing I can do. Have you ever got to that point where you realize, wow, I'm hopeless here? Because that's, the, that's what this beggar was like. He, he was hopeless. Well, Jesus says, come to me this morning, to you if you're in that place. Just come to me. Bring me all your junk Bring it. Because he wants you to be dependent on him. Bring it all. What's amazing about this is when you come to him and you trust in him and you believe that his death was sufficient to take care of the punishment that you deserve for your sin, the judgment that you and I deserve for our sin, if you believe that his death on the cross was sufficient for that, guess what? The Bible says you will be saved. You will be healed. You will be made well, just like this guy. You will begin to see. That's what happens. But you must have faith. You must have faith. You must believe 
that Jesus can do for you what you cannot do for yourself and that what he did on the cross was sufficient for you. Let me pray.